Hello and welcome to yet another episode of the Swiss Ballers Pod. I'm Fabo and as always I'm joined by two absolute ballers, my good friends Toto in London and Armin back home in Zurich. How are we doing boys? Good, good. Hello guys. We're also super excited to announce today's very very special guest star. It's our good friend, centre-back Supreme. Uh, would have gone pro with more stable hamstrings and a uh, massive Bournemouth fan, of course. Absolute baller, Ben Wilson. Lovely to have you here, mate. How are you? I'm good, thanks, Fabi. How are you doing? I'm good, thank you. Uh, we'll obviously talk AFC Bournemouth with you in a second, but uh, I know, I know you. I you know I love a random question to warm things up. So <laughs> so here goes, Ben. I know you've been to every single stadium in the Prem. Uh, which I one? Have, yes. Yeah, it's quite an impressive stat, actually. Uh, which one, except the vitality, is the most aesthetically pleasing to you? Just like the pitch, stands, vibes combination. Emirates, for sure. That's a that's a that's a tough one. I know. Yeah, I know. Armin, Armin's going to be pushing me to go for the Emirates, but I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna up, upset him early doors here and say it, it's Tottenham. Unfortunately, their, yeah. their their new stadium is is amazing. Um, I, I wouldn't say it's necessarily my my favourite stadium overall, but aesthetically pleasing yeah it's, it's amazing i think um the emirates was was the number one but yeah they've they've pipped them in the last couple of years amazing stadium amazing uh, the whole inside inside and outside yeah amazing stadium tottenham it's an interesting development because i remember growing up there was like a certain magic or a, a certain um nostalgia about an old English stadium and now all these new complexes like the Emirates or the Tottenham Stadium are coming to light and everyone seems to really vibe with them and, and it's the same in other countries as well like the Allianz Arena was like one of the first massive modern beautiful stadiums and people really vibe with them because they are so cool yeah. yeah I think some of them some of them are done really well some of them some of them not so well but Arsenal and Tottenham have, are, are yeah amazing stadiums I think when they're that big as well yeah just the the, the whole scale of it is, is but I is do really like my amazing. old San Siro as well yeah I mean there's there's still that nostalgia about an old yeah. stadium of course, but the, the, the new the new temples have something about them Ben what about the the Enfield hype I mean a lot of people saying it is overrated some people say it's the best atmosphere ever what do you think It, it, it's somewhere in between. When, when Liverpool are playing well, when it's uh, you know, I, I've actually been for uh, yeah, well, exactly. When when they win nine nil, uh, yeah, there there's a pretty good atmosphere there. <laughs> also, when they yeah. win seven nil, just to get it out of the way. <laughs> um, yeah, I've actually been, I've actually been to a Champions League game at Anfield, and obviously that you know that and that atmosphere is is amazing. But you are right. On a, on an average Saturday afternoon game, it, it doesn't tend to tend to get the same same atmosphere going. I think um, when the fans are up for it, when you know when you, we saw the the win against Man United not too long ago, big games or that Arsenal game not too long ago when they came from two 0 down. When when they, it's a big game and the teams teams up for it and flying into tackles and and flying forward, the crowd there you know is amazing. Uh, the atmosphere can get. Pretty pretty intimidating for any team, but when it's a when it's a less when the team's not playing so well, it can be pretty um, pretty pretty quiet uh, compared to even even some of the other stadiums. It's an eerie vibe if you silence a, a stadium like that. Uh, last question to all three of you, actually: what what stadium have you never been to but you really want to go? Ben, maybe you start again. Ooh, that's a good question. So I've, I've yeah, as I said, I've been to all the Premier League ones now. So uh, I think maybe, 
got to be somewhere somewhere abroad. I'd, l- I'd love to go. To, I, I think I think actually the San Siro. I think the San Siro has got to be the one yeah. historic in terms of historic. You know how how amazing that's that state. Obviously the stadium is, but also the 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 uh, years of of incredible games and players that have played there. It's, it's got to be that. Got to be the San Siro. That's a good shout. What about what about the the Swiss lads? Uh, Dodo, Do I really need to answer? I mean, the the, the yellow wall. I think it. Yeah. You've never been to a game to in be. Dortmund? Interesting. No, I've never know. been. No, yeah, never been. Never had this chance because of the COVID. Oh, yeah, uh, of course. Yeah. Tricky. But I, I will go next year. What about always... you, Arman? Uh, I would actually would like to go... Hmm. I've been thinking about this quite a lot. I think maybe Anfield when it's like a big Champions League night. Because I think what Ben says is really true. What I can hear from TV, you know, yeah. I think I remember one game. I don't know if you remember it. It was against, I think, Atletico at home. It was a return game. And I never see, I never heard something like this, like this, this hype, this, like they, they, they play every pass with their crowd and every tackle when they're up for it. I think normally maybe on a lazy Saturday afternoon, maybe they're not as uh, pumped and hyped but I think Anfield Champions League night is something that I yeah. definitely want to experience and we're back at Armand's love for Anfield Road it's fine I don't know I, you're, you're I, just, a, I, I, I know just, you, you were a Liverpool fan I'm an Arsenal fan life. yeah of course, of course. Okay. let's, let's just, move just, from, from big stadiums Liverpool to, let's move from big stadiums guys to the south coast of England and the smallest Premier League stadium the Vitality Stadium just over 10,000 uh, in capacity uh, I want to quickly talk about you, Ben, of course. You grew up on the South Coast. I mean, you'll be able to tell your story in a second. Maybe also tell tell us what Bournemouth has, has meant to you, supporting them all your life, What your relationship to the club as a, as a follower. Um, maybe start off there. Like, what's What does Bournemouth mean to you? What has it meant to you growing up, supporting them, um, following them all around the country? Yeah, absolutely. Well, it- uh, so I, I first went to Bournemouth, uh, Bournemouth games. As you said, I was I was born there, grew up there, lived there pretty much my whole life up until a couple of years ago. Um, yeah, I went went to my first game when I was about six or seven, I think it would have been. Um, don't remember a huge amount, a huge amount about it. Um, and actually, my my dad was a big big Liverpool fan. Um, so naturally, when I was pretty young, I was expecting to you know go and go and support <laughs> Liverpool as as most people do follow their follow their parents or their friends or whoever it is um but actually when I got to sort of sort of the age of sort of 13 14 and and I was going out with mates and and we used to just go down to watch watch Bournemouth they were only in in league two in those days the the fourth fourth tier of English football um so you know it wasn't wasn't a particularly spectacular event it was pretty easy to get tickets it was a five pounds or something to get in um, so it was just a way of sort of spending an afternoon with your mates, going and watching some football. Never heard of any of the players. What, what league were Bournemouth playing that time? That that was League Two. So wow. um, yeah, the, the fourth division. And actually, my very first season, um, they was the season that they uh, were the bottom of League Two. They they started the season in two thousand and nine with a. Uh, with a 17-point deduction, so they, they started the season on minus 17 points. Um, so at that point, I thought, why the hell have I just gone and bought a season ticket when we're on minus 17 before the season's even started? <laughs> so 
Um, it wasn't a great start to to, to supporting Bournemouth. Um, but yeah, to be to be honest, at the start it was it was just to you know get out and enjoy it and, and and see some see some live football. Even though I wasn't necessarily massively invested to begin with, um, and then actually what happened that season um, was despite the fact they got a seventeen point deduction and and might started on minus seventeen, they managed to stay up from relegation on the on the very last day. Um, and obviously, I, I had a, that was my first year with the season ticket. So I've been to every game and sort of following that journey from basically being written off and saying, you know, they're going to get relegated. There's, there's not really much point even bothering here. Um, we're 17 points behind anyone else before we even started. Um, and then to, to stay up on the, on the last game. Uh, and it was like an 87th minute winner as well to... to wow confirm it it was like well you know the, the journey was pretty amazing so from there it was pretty difficult to to sort of leave that behind and just sort of move on so I ended up I ended up st- sticking with my season ticket and me and my mates we continued going for um well ever since ever since 2009 so you know 14 years um 14 15 years uh watching watching Bournemouth I've had, I had a season ticket for about eight years um these days I go to mostly the 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 away games rather than the home games um, but yeah, it's it's been pretty difficult to uh, to to give it up. I can imagine. Is is that sort of then that first season? I mean, imagine just for a second what how different it could have all been if that eighty seventh minute winner hadn't fallen and, and they would have gone down or, or who yeah, knows where, where they would us. be. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely, exactly. And and is the. the the journey in those 14 years, I mean, what a journey it's been. Shortly after that, you, you had Eddie Howe come in. And I know from having spoken to you previously and, and from what you mentioned in, in the, the run-up to this pod, that Eddie Howe is a, is a big figure still for, for most people associated with, with AFC Bournemouth. What can you what can you tell us about him? Yeah, I, I think for for any any Bournemouth fan, Eddie Howe is, is, is pretty much untouchable. Um, you know, I, I think he could... Even if his Newcastle team sort of relegated us this year, people would still be still be singing us singing his name, whatever it would be. You know, obviously that that season when they were on minus seventeen points, the reason they were on in they they got points deducted was because the club was in administration, they had no money, um, they couldn't sign any players, they 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 couldn't even you know afford to pay for the the, the training ground. Um, that's when Eddie Howe actually. Got first made the manager, became the manager. Um, he hadn't he hadn't been a manager before, but he was just sort of the the next man up, which is quite ironic, obviously now with with what happened with Gary O'Neill this season. Um, he was sort of the coach that was left over, and you can have a go as the manager, and that's exactly what happened with Eddie Howe um, in two thousand and nine, and then and then yeah, obviously at the time I don't think anyone thought he would be where he is now managing in the Premier League and, and not just managing in the Premier League but doing doing really well in the yeah. Premier League um, at the top end of the Premier League as well so yeah I mean he, he's he's pretty untouchable from from a Bournemouth point of view he played he played over 250 games for us as a player um, and then and then once he retired obviously was was the manager for for the best part of 10 years across two spells as we said his first game we were bottom of league 2 and and when he left we were you know established premier league team uh, you know and now and now where we are so yeah he he's pretty untouchable i don't think any bournemouth fan could could have anything bad to say about about Eddie Howe he's he's completely changed the whole club i i want to ask you something about about this like in in switzerland we have a a, a club um from a city called st gallen where they kind of 
they sell themselves or they they say that our our greatest good is is the fans so what they do is they try and cater to that so they don't really care if i mean they do care they want to be successful but they the the first thing they look for is entertaining football making sure the stadium stays full week in week out because that's a big thing in, in in switzerland that a lot of the top flight teams don't fill up their stadiums and in, in that region it's quite important to them that that they have 17,000 every week they play entertaining football there the the club is close to the people there's a community in and around the club the fans can get involved there's a lot of sort of small local companies that get involved with the club is it's obviously hard to tell as an outsider and I've never been to Bournemouth even is that something that you know Eddie Howe is is a bit like that you know having played for Bournemouth having coached them for so long is he quite uh, involved in the community there as well is he still part of do you feel like he's one of you yeah 100% and I I think you know obviously you know Premier League teams their their marketing departments they all they all sort of try and show themselves as being for the community and, and local teams and all this kind of thing. And obviously it's not, not always, not always true. Uh, yeah. Anyhow is, is exactly that. Yeah. I think obviously Bournemouth is quite a small, it's a very small town. It's obviously a very small stadium. There's not many people involved. And so it's actually a situation where it, although he's sort of like an icon to, to anyone who supports Bournemouth, he, he's not actually that far away. You know, he, mo- most people, because Bournemouth's such a, a small town, most people know him or at least know, you know, know people that know him. Uh, you know, my, my cousin lives uh, lives next door to him or, or used to when he he um, he lived in Bournemouth. So it's like, uh, and you, you you see him at the beach, you see him in, in the town. It, or it's, it's quite a strange one that he's obviously, you know, the, the biggest name in Bournemouth, but also he's, he's, he's sort of just a normal a normal guy he's not really you know a celebrity in the same way that uh, obviously the bigger clubs you know the, the players and the managers are pretty much untouchable you'd never see them just sort of walking down walking around the town and that kind of thing so obviously where he started just as a league two player and a league two manager everyone, everyone sort of knew who, who he was and, and and got to know him that that way and then obviously now he's gone on to to, to where he is and it's like he's been elevated to celebrity status but for most Bournemouth um, for, for most Bournemouth fans he's, he's sort of just the, the, the local you know the local uh, football manager and, and everyone's everyone's met him you, you, you see him around the town a lot um, and everyone knows people who know him or, or have met him themselves and yeah I think he, he you know I think every manager, sort of, again, similar to what I was saying about the marketing, every every manager says, "Oh yeah, we're for the fans," and and you know the most important thing is that is the fans being entertained. I, I think Eddie Howe is a really good example of that, and I think he's done it at Newcastle as well. There's a lot of stories that when um, when new players signed for Bournemouth, and I, I suspect he's still doing it at Newcastle, they basically had to do, watch like a sort of like a half an hour video on like the town and the club and and. and listen to the whole story about how they were nearly relegated into the the conference and all this kind of thing and how they were on minus 17 points and how the fans had to pay their own money to keep the club going and this kind of thing he he basically made all the new signings watch this video and you can obviously imagine you know uh some some of the more high profile players we we played players coming from uh, you know, signing for twenty million pounds, uh, earning a whole load of money, and they're sort of sat watching a, a PowerPoint video of of like uh, Eddie Howe putting money into a bucket, sort of thing. It, it seems a bit strange, but he's definitely you know been able to keep that sort of grassroots. The fans spirit, are the yeah. most important spirit. Uh, yeah, all all the way at Bournemouth, and, I, and I'm very confident that it's the same at Newcastle now. 
and I'm I'm sure that makes a difference. I mean, we we were talking just before we started recording about how your level on points with Chelsea, the probably <laughs> polar opposite of of this, and it, it's so refreshing to see a club run like that to you know to to be as successful, if not more successful, than the club who just kind of almost plays uh, football manager um, for fun. So so it's it's so cool to see that that something like that can still exist in a in an organisation or a or a an entity like the Premier League is one, so so really really cool. In in I mean, obviously Eddie Howe has now moved on. He's at he's in Newcastle now. What uh, the the club got relegated since he's left, and and then first year in the playoffs, just lost out to Brentford, who is another who got another success story, but obviously not going to go there now. Then appointed Scott Parker, managed to get you back in the Prem, perhaps sooner than most people would have thought. It sooner than maybe you thought as well with the change of ownership and everything coming in in, in 2021 is it, it, who do you put this this second spell in the prem this successful spell now down to is that still Eddie Howe's legacy or, or who are the key figures behind it I mean in, in terms of in terms of getting back to the Premier League I, I think it was it, it was a strange one as you said you know the the last season when we got promoted to be honest we weren't very good we, we we finished second in the championship but compared to the, even the season before where as you say we lost in the playoffs um it didn't feel like a team that was you know ready to go into the premier league um we had scott parker as our manager um and you know he, he's got a good record in the championship he got fulham promoted and then two, two seasons later he got bournemouth promoted from the from the championship to the premier league so from that point of view um you know obviously his record looks great but you know, if you speak to any Fulham fan, I've, I've got a couple of mates who support Fulham, and also myself uh, from a Bournemouth point of view. He he got them promoted with what on paper was a very good Championship squad. We still had a lot of the Premier League players left over from from when we got relegated, so it was it was kind of expected that you should be at, right at the top of the Championship just based on the quality of player that they had. Um, but they they didn't play particularly well. They uh, they got pretty fortunate to get promoted that season, I think. So when they did get promoted, uh, obviously at the end of last year, that really carried over into this year, and I think it showed in the first few games where obviously we got um, we got battered three uh, nil by Arsenal, four nil by Man City, and then nine nil at Liverpool in the first in the first four games of the season. So I think if anyone you know was think I'm not quite sure we're ready for this, um, that was pretty much proved when 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 we were watching those games. I mean some of those games. Um, you know, it was like watching an FA Cup game where it's a Premier League team against one of the lower league teams. It, it, they weren't even playing in the same in the same in the same league. It didn't look like. Um, so obviously, yes, when Scott Parker left, um, it was it, it was a little bit refreshing in that at, at least um, it, you know someone was gonna was gonna give it a go. It did feel a little bit like Scott Parker was sort of resigned to the fact that we weren't ready and we weren't good enough for the Premier League. Um, but it was still very much an uphill struggle from there. We, you look at the squad that we had and, and still have, obviously, now. Um, it, it was quite easy to say, you know, I'm not sure. I'm not sure anyone could could turn this around after after losing 9-0 uh, at Anfield. And obviously, as we know, Liverpool haven't even necessarily been that good this season and we still made them look like the, the best team in the world. So, um, yeah, at that point, it was, it, it was, it was pretty much curtain. Can I ask you a question? Go ahead. Go ahead. Um, they sacked him after the nine-zero loss against. 
and and he was gone. <laughs> <laughs> Connectivity issues, Armin. Can you can you repeat your yeah. question, please? Okay, we might we may have lost Armin. I'll I'll take over from here. Let, let's it, actually I think it's a very interesting point that you mentioned that, that the this season. Let's let's talk about this season in in general. I think is a is a good topic. Hello. Um, yes. Hello, Armin. I'm oh, sorry. I was, I was just, someone was calling me. Okay. I think uh, I have to come up. Sorry. It's fine. Uh, the question. What was the question? Yet. Oh yeah. Please please repeat your sorry. question. We're, we sorry. were talking about the nine nil. Uh, yeah. Exactly. At the end of August against Liverpool, Scotty Parker was exactly. sacked. Everyone was like. Uh, who other than Bournemouth do you see going down? And I think even you, Ben, at the time, if I remember correctly, were like, "There's no way we're staying 100%. in this league." There's, there's, Definitely. yeah. Go ahead, Armin. But yeah, but I, I remember there was a lot of criticism that maybe they should they sacked him too early because, as you said, the run at the start was very difficult, and you cannot judge someone maybe against City, Arsenal, Liverpool. So. At this point against Liverpool, did you agree with the sacking or did you think maybe he should have uh, gotten more time? Now, I think now in hindsight you were happy, but... Yeah, you, I, I think the in, in terms of the football itself, you know, I, it was it was a harsh sacking. As you say, you know, they lost to Arsenal, Man City and Liverpool. OK, the scores weren't great, but, you know, we, we wouldn't have expected to get any, any results from that. So from just the football point of view, it was it seemed like... It was a bit too soon. You can't really sack a manager after four games. The, the, I think the reason he 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 got sacked, and the reason I think most people, including myself, were actually were actually okay with it, was that it was his comments after that game and and a few weeks around that game as well. Where after the, after the game, obviously just lost nine nil. I think the the pundit said to him, you know. It, it, what are you going to be able to do to make sure that that this doesn't happen again? Um, and his comments were something along the lines of, "I I, I can't be sure. You know, we we haven't got the players that that I'd like. We we haven't got a squad that's going to be able to compete. And it, it's possible that this does happen again. And obviously, at that point, it, it felt like he was basically resigned to to relegation. He was basically saying the squad's not good enough. We're not going to be able to compete in the Premier League." And we're going to get relegated. So at that point, it was, well, OK, he's probably right. We probably don't have the squad. But if you're going to just give up, then then there's no point. Um, so I think most most Bournemouth fans, including myself, were actually more than OK with the, with the decision. Um, once, once you give up, once you say we're going to get relegated, yeah. we're not good enough. And, and obviously he would have lost the confidence of the players at that point, yeah. right? Because yeah, he, he was sure. basically saying at that point, unless the, the owners give me loads of money to sign new players, we're going to get beat 9-0 again. Um, and obviously the, the players would have looked at that and gone, well, I'm not going to carry on playing for you if, mm. if you think I'm rubbish. So... Yeah, it, the, the, on, in terms of just the football, it was it was a harsh sacking. But mm-hmm. I think once he once he sort of publicly said, "I don't think we're good enough for the Premier League," there wasn't really much chance for him then. But I think he's a talented coach, Scott Parker. I, I think he is. I think he is, and he's. But both at Fulham and Bournemouth, he he had good squads for the Championship. You know, squads mm-hmm. full of full of ex Premier League players. 
And what he basically did at both was play quite conservative, safe football, um, which in the championship, people were saying, well, you've got the best squad. Why don't you just go out and attack and, and, and win games 5-0? And obviously his his view was, well, I'm getting you ready for the Premier League. You know, we could we could win the championship and win every game 3-0. But actually, when you get to the Premier League and you've got to play Man City and you've got to play Arsenal and you've got to play Liverpool, you can't play like that. You have to be a bit more pragmatic. You have to be a bit more tactical. So he was obviously playing in, a, in the championship in a way that he thought was going to get us ready for the Premier League. Um, and so I, I do think oh, he's a good okay. manager, um, but a lot of the fan, if you ask most Fulham or Bournemouth fans, they won't have great things to say about him because okay. he played quite quite negative defensive football. Um, was was the criticism that he gets? Yeah, I remember. I remember this time as well. I remember people kind of feeling a bit a bit sorry for him in a way because it did feel from the outside like the squad wasn't good enough and it's so hard to yeah, argue yeah. when when you lose those three games that we mentioned it was everyone was like well probably he, i mean you can't say that in front of you know the the public and and cameras and all that and and kind of throw your players under the bus but at the same time everyone felt like well clearly Bournemouth are going to go down immediately but you got Kiefer Moore. I mean, he's the best player in the country. <laughs> I don't know I'm what he's complaining about. Moore, but I'm a big <laughs> fan of Kiefer Moore, but if he's your leading striker going into the season in the Premier League, you're in trouble. <laughs> the, Gary O'Neill, as we mentioned before, took over. Uh, Gary O'Neill himself, uh, an ex-Premier League player, never played for Bournemouth, but had spells at, at Portsmouth and, and Middlesbrough and, and West Ham. Knows the Championship quite well, knows the Premier League well enough. He stepped up as interim manager and, and immediately the results came in. His first game was a nil-nil at Wolves, then beating Forest, drawing away to Newcastle, which looking back was a probably bigger result than people realised at the time, beating yeah. Leicester, the, the, basically steadying the ship quite quite quickly before getting the, the job on a permanent basis uh, before the World Cup even. Um, but did you... Did you know much about Gary O'Neill, or did other than that he was the, your your assistant manager, or what was your perception at the time of of him when he when he stepped up? Because I remember myself going, "Oh, okay, who's who's this lad now?" That's that's usually not going to work because I don't think we've had that many interim managers um, who have done really well. I think Gary O'Neill might be a, really one of a one of a kind in the sense that he's really improve the situation afterwards I mean in more recent times look at Frank Lampard look at Cristiano Salini at Spurs <laughs> look at um, even Ralph Rangnick at, at United you know it's 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 not really worked out very well what, what were your what were your thoughts yeah it was quite interesting uh, you know obviously O'Neill was a coach under under Scott Parker so he, he you know their style of football it hasn't been massively different and and certainly in those first few games as you said they got some they got some good draws and, and they got a couple of wins um so definitely the results were were, were much better than than the 5-0 and the uh, the 3-0 4-0 and 9-0 sorry but actually the 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 brand of football was pretty similar um you know there was a nil nil draw at home to brentford in that little run there was a a win against um a win against everton which was was a really good result but they weren't they still weren't playing attacking football they were still playing pretty much the same way that scott parker was playing um i i think the 
to, so to begin with, he, he really didn't change a huge amount. Um, he, he played pretty much the same system, pretty much the same players. It was just sort of a gradual um, a gradual stamp that he made on on, on the team. He, he didn't go in there and say, right, we're playing a completely different formation. These are the players I'm going to play, um, which I think can sometimes be the issue with interim managers. You know, you look at you look at someone like Leeds or or Chelsea they've had you know quite a few managers this season and each of the managers seems to play quite a different style of football obviously you know Chelsea they went from Tuchel who's you know quite pragmatic to to Graham Potter who wants to just dominate possession Leeds they had you know a couple of seasons ago they had Bielsa who plays the ultra pressing football then Jesse Marsh was was a lot less and and then they've ended up with Sam Allardyce who you know is about as far away from from Marcelo Bielsa as you could possibly get so I think the fact that they kept a coach or or a manager now Gary O'Neill was that was quite similar actually helped um, because it meant the changes that were, were quite subtle um, the, the players didn't have to learn a completely new system they had they were able to keep on a lot of what they were doing but he was making small tweaks um, to, to 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 the system that they were they were playing I think you know they went through that 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 really good run where they got some good results but I think most people most Bournemouth fans were still not convinced they weren't they still weren't playing very well they still weren't going out and looking like they were going to win games they were getting getting the odd draw here and there so when it got to the World Cup um, and and there was sort of a bit of a decision to make do we do they keep Gary O'Neill as permanent or do they go elsewhere um, I think most Bournemouth fans were, were probably expecting him to to, to go um, the new owners had, from America had just had just joined um, and you were expecting new owner they're going to want to make a splash a big name manager they're not going to want to go for um, for Gary O'Neill so where were um, you where were you stood on this I, I was I was pretty I was pretty open to to either approach so they the only manager that publicly um, they tried to to get um, during the World Cup break was Marcelo Bielsa because um, obviously he he'd left Leeds at that point um, and and the new the, the new owner went and tried to get Bielsa for Bournemouth um, which seemed a bit ambitious um, still seems a little bit ambitious given the you know the clubs that Bielsa's managed to try and get him to Bournemouth um, but after Bielsa basically said no. Um, they appointed O'Neill pretty quickly, so it was it was quite clear that they did like Gary O'Neill. They they obviously liked Bielsa a little bit more. Um, I, I was I was okay with it. I did I wasn't super excited by it. I was obviously still of the view we don't have a great squad and we probably are going to get relegated. But my view was that it wasn't going to be about the manager. That it was it was going to be a situation where that they're going to need to find some consistency in the in the team. Um, rather than a huge change of, of, of strategy and tactics. Ben, I have another question. I think um, Gary Real has done a tremendous job and he should be one of the uh, coaches of the year. He was, the, the job he's doing is amazing. Do you actually think that, I don't want to rub it in too much, that after the Arsenal game, which I thought you were brilliant, you, you were very streetwise, you looked dangerous on the break some, a couple of times, did you actually think that after that, maybe that was the spark which sent you on this kind of great run where you got a couple yeah. of wins? One because time. then, then yeah. you saw you could compete with the best or second best, <laughs> <laughs> and and you know in a way that almost, I mean obviously in the end it was it was cutting I'm sure, but in a way that sent him and his team a message that you can 
we can be in this league and we can compete with the best yeah. and get some what? wins. 100%. That, that Arsenal game, yeah, as you say, you know, we lost the game in the 97th minute, which at the time was, was pretty gutting. But actually, on reflection, that Arsenal game was completely the turning point in our season. So up until that point, we were, we were playing really safe. We were going into games, let, let's try and keep the game nil-nil for as long as possible. Maybe we'll nick a goal and we might get a 1-0 or if not, let's try and hold on to a nil-nil. And basically, once we were going 1-0 down in games, it was like, I don't know what to do now. You know, that, that's the plan out the window, that, that's game over. We'll try again next week. The Arsenal game, and, and you were there, Arm, and you, you remember it. I know we were 1-0 up <laughs> after 10 seconds, but that first half was Arsenal. I think Arsenal had about 20 shots. It was it was 80% possession, 20 shots. It was absolute one-way yeah, traffic. It was, it was a crazy <laughs> game. But actually... Bournemouth did create a couple of chances. Yeah, we, we we went out down the other end on the counter Ramsdale attack. Ramsdale had a huge save. Ramsdale made an amazing save. I think it was from Solanke. And actually, yeah. I think I think during that game, you know, we played. We went away to Arsenal, who at the time were the best team in the country by a long way, and and we actually caused some problems. We actually we actually on the counter attack. You know, we soaked up a lot of a lot of um, attacks from Arsenal, and we actually went up and and and, and created some problems and, yeah. and could have could have scored more goals. Yeah. And I think I think that that was exactly the switch in Gary O'Neill. And, and at that point in in the season, he he seemed to just say. Right, let, let's be brave. Um, you know, let, let's still be let's still be fairly cautious. We still don't even even now in the, in the good run of uh, results we've had in the last six weeks, we still don't dominate possession. We still have sort of forty or forty five percent possession in most games. But, but you we, don't need we to. Look genu- we look genuinely dangerous on the break. Um, you know, players like Solanke, players like Philip Billing. Um, players like Mar- Marcus Tavernier, you know, they, they a lot of pace and that ability to to turn teams around and keep them keep them interested in at the back um, has has been massively massively um, I- improved. And yeah, just just being brave, just being brave has I think has been the thing that has kept Bournemouth up. Is I mean, it's so interesting that you say a, a defeat is almost a turning point, but obviously, if you it, you know, looking back at it, it, it makes a lot of sense. I remember very yeah. clearly the sort of aftermath of that, you know, because I think that could have also been the turning point for the worst. I think it could have also been it, kind of viewed as a sign of, okay, we came so close, but still just didn't fall for us. And then yeah. you have the yeah. next And that was exactly how it felt at the time. <laughs> exactly. And I remember very clearly, like, the, uh, the kind of the, the mood... I don't know if we spoke at training the the week after, or I, I'm sure we 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 discussed it because you and Armand were both at the game, and I remember very clearly feeling, oh, and now you've got Liverpool coming to your place. It's going to be it's going to be very difficult. Liverpool had just beaten United seven nil the week before, and and it just felt like okay, and and this is where everyone's suspicion that Bournemouth are going to just go down will get confirmed, and then you beat Liverpool at home, and and really still obviously still bumps along the way since, but but. You know, went on a brilliant run, beat Spurs away, beat Leicester. Uh, I, th- I think beat Brighton. No, not Brighton. Beat. Um, Started to beat Spurs. As well. Yeah, exactly. So there was there was so many great results since then, and finally against Leeds uh, last weekend, you you all but confirmed your your Premier League status for next year as, as well. Which is, I'm I'm sure, given where you you started the season, uh, I mean, how happy are you at the moment then? It, it, it's yeah, it's it is pretty shocking. I remember, uh, I actually remember listening to to you boys on on the podcast. You guys did 
did uh, an exercise where you basically said, who, who do you think of the three teams are going to go down? All, I was all the only of... one saying that you were going to stay. <laughs> I need to say that. That's a lie. I was the only one. I, uh, no, no, I'm I was not... the only one. You really said they're going to stay up? Really? I'm sorry, Ben, but I had you going down the whole season until. Well, that that was that was exactly what I was going to say. I mean, you boys thought yeah. we were going down. I'm I sorry. thought we were going down. I thought every single person thought we were going down. Yeah, but when I was talking to you in training, you always said like, "Oh, we're shit. We're going down." Like, don't don't be so. Uh, uh, you know, yeah. you called yes. it as well. It, yeah, it, and it's it's taught me to be a bit more positive. But yeah, I, I think genuinely <laughs> that 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 changed since since that Arsenal game. We were. You know, before yeah. that, when you know, when I was very negative about Bournemouth, even when they were getting a win or getting a, a draw, they were playing really poorly. They were they were just going out to try and frustrate teams and and, and nick a nick a result here and there. And and since that Arsenal game, you know, that Liverpool <laughs> game, you know, Liverpool actually, you know, Liverpool were the better team that day. Mo Salah actually missed a penalty, so it could have been a very different story. But I think there was just that that change in attitude of. Okay, maybe we are the worst team in the league, but let's give it a go. Let's just see. Let's let's just go go at teams and see if we can actually cause them cause them uh, some problems. And and I think when you do that, you get a bit of luck. Um, and things like Mo Salah missing a penalty um, start to yeah. go your way if if you're uh, brave. Yeah, it's so funny because Ben, uh, I think uh, Bournemouth scored after ten seconds, and I, and I wrote to Ben, and I, I think I said something like, "You're having a good time" or something. And he wrote, and he wrote me back like, "Don't worry, it's, it's going to be five-one in a minute." <laughs> <laughs> like the most most humble fan ever. <laughs> this is true, Ben. I mean, all season you've been very pessimistic. So, so maybe let's let's have a look. Let's take a look into the future. It, second season syndrome. We, we've all heard it. It's, it's a football cliche. Um, you know, clubs struggle after the second in the second season after they get promoted to the Premier League. Are you back to pessimism now? Are you are you worried for next season? What what's your outlook? What can we expect? Um, I, I I think I think the truth of where Bournemouth are is somewhere between what we're doing right now in, in the last four weeks and what was happening earlier in the, in the season. Um, I, I think you, look, look, we're we're going to be in 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 the relegation picture next year, no doubt about it. Um, whether we can, I, I, it'll be it'll be interesting to see what happens in in the transfer transfer window. The, the new owners obviously came in in January. They they signed a few players in January. They they spent about eighty million um, in the January window, which for, you know for Bournemouth is is a hell of a lot of money. Yeah, it's a lot. Yeah. Um, if they if they plan to do something similar to that again in the summer, then you know we, we should be looking at a, a pretty strong squad. Um, going Are there any the players that you've heard who might be coming in, or that you would like to come in, or? So there's there's well there's a, there's a few players we've got on loan which which we need to try and try and make permanent. So um, Matthias Wiener, who is on loan from Roma, yep. um, the the left back, he he didn't play a huge amount, and actually he's also one of the catalysts for for Bournemouth's massive improvement. He he didn't really play a huge amount after joining on loan um, in January. His, it, one of his the first game he actually started was away at Tottenham, and he he scored, and and obviously that was the the game we won three two, and he's been a really key player for us. Um, really Really strong attacking uh, fullback, little little bit weak defensively. Um, they tend to play him when when we play five five at the back, you know, as a wing back with a little bit more protection behind him. Uh, but he's a really strong player. We've also got Jack Stevens, who um, is not, you know not a not, not a very high profile name in in Premier League football, online from Southampton. And when we signed him, at, you know, I, I was thinking 
why are we signing a, a, a Southampton reserve centre back that doesn't seem very ambitious? Um, but he's turned into be, to be one of our key players this season. He's been he's been excellent at centre half. So the first thing is getting getting those two um, those two signed up. Based on what we've seen so far, I think they're going to continue to sign young players um, generally from generally from European leagues. Um, they, they, they they seem to. Um, believe that there's better value there and there's also a few players that we signed in January who haven't really got going yet so um Dango Utara who um he, he scored that last minute goal against against Tottenham but he's actually not played a huge amount um they, they paid 15 million pounds for him um so he's, he's quite young he's, too say again sorry he's quite young as well I mean yeah he's yeah he's only two. Yeah, he's, he's only, only 20, 20 years old. He, yeah. he you know, he's um he, he he's a very exciting player, 15 million pound signing. So there's high hopes for him. Um there's also a, a center back Zabayani who they signed from um Dynamo Kyiv uh, in Ukraine. Um again, 20 or I think it was 18 million pounds they signed him for in January. He he's barely played. He's been injured the whole time. So um a couple of players like that who actually haven't you know that there'll be basically new signings when when we start the next season um and it'll be really interesting to see how how they how they um how they pay off so i i don't think you're going to see huge big name signings from bournemouth in in the summer i think it'll be three or four um three or four young players again um and it'll be fairly low profile similar to last season and I think for the same reasons most people will have us in in their in their relegation favorites um but yeah there's de- there's definitely some optimism um there's definitely some optimism if if the key players stay fit and we've we've probably got three or four key players who make a huge difference to our team if they stay fit the whole season then then absolutely we can we can finish mid table I've got a question for you maybe who would you say uh, would be you Play of the season for the moment. That, that that's easy. That that's that's Neto, the goalkeeper. Okay. He, he's he's been unbelievable. Not billing. And, no, not not billing. You know, Phil Phil scored billing. so many important goals. I think. Dom Dom Solanke has been has been really strong. Um, but no, Neto. If you look at the stats in terms of save percentages and expected goals prevented and all these kind of stats, Neto's the top three in the whole league. Um, he's he's definitely for me a top a top ten goalkeeper in the Premier League. He's he's been unbelievable, and he's actually um, you know a big re- uh, you know what I was saying about being brave um, in the last six games and, and just taking risks. That's that's exactly where we've we've got that bit of luck. Like the Leeds game, for example, just last Sunday, you know we won four one. So for most people that didn't watch the game, they'll say, "Oh, Bournemouth absolutely destroyed Leeds." If you actually look at it, it was just that we had a better. It was largely that we just had a better goalkeeper than them. Meslier uh, made two two pretty bad errors. Um, he dropped across for the for the second goal and and let one through his his legs for the fourth goal and Neto made three or four really good saves his shot stopping is is exceptional so you know in that Leeds game we won 4-1 but if we'd swapped goalkeepers over it probably would have been a very close game are you afraid of losing him no, because he's just signed a new contract. He, he signed a new contract about two months ago, which which seemed, at the time seemed completely bizarre when we were looking like we were going to get relegated to the championship to give uh, a 33-year-old goalkeeper who's presumably on on pretty significant wages given that we signed him from Barcelona. It seemed a bit strange to give him a new contract, but yeah, you know, he's he's been he's been our best player far and away this season, and and yeah, he he should he should be talked about more. He's he's definitely one of the the ten best Premier League goalkeepers. Another thing I want to 
ask perhaps before we before we get on to predictions for for the upcoming weekend the, the, the obviously you still have by far the, the smallest stadium capacity wise in the in the premier league it is maybe is not this... with Town. Well, well fingers crossed luton don't get promoted <laughs> for, for more than one reason what, what is there something that you almost want to keep the way it is because of kind of the community sense of the club and if it's only 10 10,000 you'll, you'll kind of almost know half the stadium and that sort of family atmosphere will stay or would you also be interested in maybe the club with the new owners getting a bit bigger and, and, and bigger faster stronger better whatever how, yeah. how, what are your thoughts I, I think it's you've got to hopefully you can find somewhere in between so I think the, the thing for Bournemouth is in the short term I don't see them um, expanding the stadium and there's a couple of reasons at the moment they don't even own the state the, the stadium they play in the vitality Bournemouth don't even own that um, when they were in um, in rel- financial trouble back in 2009 which we've already discussed they had to sell the stadium uh, to, to just a property developer um, to raise some to raise some cash basically so they don't even own that land um, and obviously what's happening now is the club obviously has a lot of money now it's in the Premier League and they're going to that property developer and saying okay let's let's buy it back so we can either expand it or build a new stadium or whatever it may be um, but actually that property developer obviously is uh, is more than happy to to sit on it and, and take the rental money each year so they're, they're in a bit of a difficult situation that they can't actually expand the stadium because they don't own it so in the short term I don't see that they're going to make any significant changes I think they're going to put the money into the training ground and, and, and that kind of thing before the stadium but absolutely in the long term if you want to become a you know a, a bigger club than than they are obviously at the moment they're, they're very doing very well to be in the Premier League but realistically it's not a Premier League Premier League club um, I think the only way to establish yourself longer term is to try and do basically just copy what Brighton did you know Brighton were uh, similar to Bournemouth they were down in League One League Two they only had 5,000 6,000 fans each week um, and they went and built a an amazing 30,000 seater stadium um and now they they fill that every single week and obviously you know they're doing incredibly well on the pitch they're probably overachieving at the moment i'm not not saying bournemouth are going to be uh, fighting for champions league like brighton are but just to establish yourself as a much bigger club um and and be a premier league club so i think that's what you have to do at some point hopefully they can do that as you say Fabi, without sort of sacrificing the the, the local hometown feel, um, and I think Brighton have done that quite well. Um, but but it, eventually, it's a step you have to make. But I don't see that for probably five years at least for Bournemouth at the moment. But what I think you need to also consider: Brighton do have a, a big owner in um, what's his name, Tony Bloom, I think. Yes, yeah, yeah. and he did because he because he's English, because he's lo- local. Maybe it didn't raised that much of a, of a story maybe with the Saudis at, at Newcastle, which have more money, of course. But he he also, you know, he put a lot of money in it and I just don't see, I mean, you can judge it better than me, but I don't see Bournemouth competing. Oh, I think we lost him. Again. <laughs> <laughs> He's getting another phone call. He needs to... That's needs right. To... I, I got the gist of his question anyway, but you know, he, you know, he is absolutely right, and that—that's why I don't think in the short term it's going to be something that Bournemouth yeah, do. Come I don't back, think. Come back, come back, come back. Yeah, no. Why is yeah, everybody? I, I, 
<laughs> and he's back again. His, uh, he's, he's gone again. His his friends keep calling him at the wrong time. He needs to he needs to put his phone on on flight mode or something. Um, yes. But yeah, yeah, I think it's a good point that you made there, Ben, about about you know short short term. It's probably not as much of a possibility as it is long term. No, it's, it's very Can I just finish my point, see. please? Yeah, go ahead, go ahead. <laughs> because, because I think he, he built the whole structure and the training ground and the facilities at Brighton are crazy. So I, I do think you, at some stage, you need to get lucky with, with maybe a, a rich owner. That's just the reality, the sad reality of, of the Premier League, I think. Yeah, no, it's true, and and you know, the, I don't, I don't think our, you know, our current owner who's who's just uh, who's just joined, you know, American owner, he, he owns the uh, Las Vegas um, ice hockey team. He, he is a he's a multi billionaire. I don't, I don't think he's you know, uh, Abramovich or or Saudi level <laughs> level of rich, but he he has got a bit of money behind him. So um, I do, I think in the in the longer term, it is maybe maybe ten years from now, I think it, it's possible that Bournemouth move into a bigger stadium. But certainly in the next five years, it, it's it's not something that we're likely to see they're going to spend that money on making sure that the team say stays competitive and also improving the training ground they um they actually bought a local golf course in Bournemouth which I was not very happy about because it was one of my favorite golf courses but they <laughs> they bought that three years ago and have turned it into the new training ground so um so that's why they're spending their money at the moment rather than on the stadium what a dream it is to play on on golf grass Ben <laughs> thank you so much for for telling us some some in giving us some insight into into your football team it's the, the it's been so interesting kind of following you following the cherries over the past five years at brent and i'm sure arman and, and toto as well have been very interested to hear what you what you've had to say and what you've told us over the past 45 minutes or so and, and we could go on forever but i'm i'm gonna leave it for for now i'm gonna leave it here um but thank you to you uh and the more the more I, I learn about Bournemouth, the, the more likeable I find them as a club, as a, as a team as well. And the more I find myself rooting for them uh, when they're not playing United. Let's get into some predictions, boys. We, we do have a few big games coming up. Obviously, we're going we're gonna to talk about Bournemouth-Chelsea. Level on points, the battle for 12th, as you said before, Ben. Confident going into this? Can you beat them? In, in you know in a strange way of course I'm I'm quite confident we're playing well and they're playing really badly um, so yeah on the face of it I'm, I am I am quite confident um, obviously I I do think it's it's going to be about how uh, Chelsea approach it Bournemouth play Bournemouth play best when we don't have the ball when other teams attack us based on what I've seen from Chelsea they that's exactly what they do they keep a lot of the ball but they don't really want know what to do with it so um, yeah I'm quietly confident um, we'll, we'll see what happens I, I think I think a, a 1-0 win is um, is on the cards love that Dota do you agree with this you, you've been, you've, you love you love going against Chelsea don't you yeah I do but I don't know I see a draw but I, I don't think Chelsea are going to win this game but maybe a draw I will go with a draw okay Arman but do you I, give I, your... I hope yeah, but if Bournemouth win, I'm so happy with that. Okay. Armand, do you want to give your your thoughts on, on yeah, the sure. matter and also on Newcastle Arsenal because it's a difficult away game? Uh, yeah, sure. Uh, I think Bournemouth. Imagine Chelsea lose against Bournemouth and Nottingham Forest, then they have to play Arsenal, uh, Man, Man City, and Newcastle. So let's see how that goes. What do you What do you think with Arsenal then? Um. Arsenal against Newcastle, it's at Newcastle, so... I mean, they proved me wrong against Chelsea, so... Uh, <laughs> I think I think we're going to win. 
a dirty a dirty one zero for the Arsenal. Toto. I'm gonna go with Newcastle. I'm going to, to back Seki's team. No, it has to be for them. I don't think you're going to win. Because um the the game you play at uh, the Emirates against Newcastle, it was so difficult for you guys and I don't think you're going to win. Yeah, we had I think like five penalties. The ref yeah. cost us again. I'm gonna go with a, <laughs> I'm gonna go with a two two on, on that one. Ben, do you wanna weigh in on both Newcastle Arsenal and maybe United uh, away to West Ham of interest because Toto and I will be in the stadium? Absolutely, yeah. I think I think Arsenal will beat Newcastle. I think a couple of early goals. Uh, if it stays nil nil for a while, then then Arsenal will be in trouble. But I think I think Arsenal can get some early goals and and, and blow Newcastle out of the water based on based on how they can play. See, uh, I've heard that before. I said exactly this about the Arsenal game against Chelsea, <laughs> and then I got stick for for saying no, no, that. No, 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 no. But no, we'll no, leave it no. there. You we'll leave it there. No, no, regular that's listeners, so wrong. regular listeners, no, wrong. we're not going to no, go just into wrong. I said that's as well. Wrong. If Arsenal can get a few early goals against Chelsea, they'll win comfortably. I think yeah, if they can, yeah, but, but they didn't. Said. You didn't say yeah. they will. No, no. Of course, you don't yeah. know if they will. But I'm saying if they want to win the game, they got to win it yeah, in the first half. And you, Ben's just said the exact same thing, proving that he knows ball. Ben, go ahead on West Ham against United. You can't lose there, can you? West Ham United, um, I think, again, I, I see it as a United win. I think um, West Ham just play West Ham play for set pieces. And I think when you've got Rashford and, and the like, I, I think Man United can get an early goal and completely throw West Ham off. I, I agree with you. I, I'm, I'm quite, yeah. quietly confident there. West Ham have also got a huge European game coming up, so they'll be a bit preoccupied. Plus, they just played City in midweek, so it's a, it's a long week pace. for them. They played. They played so bad against Crystal Palace last weekend. Yeah. Wow. So uh, I'm going to go. With They're dangerous on the on the set pieces, though. So yeah, let's see how uh, how uh, the the backline for United deals with that. Cool. Could be a game to play Harry Maguire. Could be a game. <laughs> yeah, Harry it could Maguire, actually be indeed. Okay, um, we're going to wrap it up there, boys. We'll be back next week with our good friend Hashi, the AC Milan fan, because I think there's a pretty Ooh. big game for AC Milan coming yeah. up. Next I think week. there is. The I'm not biggest, exactly sure. Their biggest game, I think, in yep. 10 years or something. The San Siro myth has, been, has already been mentioned in this pod. Ben, once again, a massive thank you from all three of us. It's been a yes. pleasure having you, you guys. Thank you. I hope you'll be back for us sometime in the future. Enjoy your trip down south to watch your team hopefully beat Chelsea. Uh, thank you also to Toto and Armin, and uh, thank you to all our listeners as always, and I'll see you soon. Cheers, guys. Cheers, Bye-bye. guys.